Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. arrangement of Gymnopédie by none other than mm -hmm. Eric Satie. Very musically um, adept. <laughs> Innovative. Innovative. That's the word I was looking for. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Alright, so for this episode we are focusing on the wacky wonderful life of Eric Satie. Really we're just talking about all the weird things about him. Man, that dude was weird. Yeah, yeah. I know next to nothing about Satie, so Naomi, I'm excited about this. Lay it on us. Ready All right, to get my so a few, a few just basic things about him so that we get into some context here. He's born in 1866. He died in 1925. Hmm. He is French and primarily lived in and around Paris. Uh, he was a composer, also a pianist. And he's a pretty colorful guy. Uh, he is strongly associated with the avant-garde movement. Mm -hmm. In many ways, people think he was like an innovator of many avant-garde ideas and also things that become of huge interest to people later in the 1900s, like minimalism and that sort of thing, and okay. music as sound and managed time, that type of idea. Yeah, he he did not write an opera, right? He did not write an opera. Which is no. okay. What type of compositions are we talking about? He wrote piano music and also symphonic music and, mm -hmm. some, and some vocal music. Some vocal music. Mm. Um, so he kind of did a smattering of mm -hmm. things. Nice. But he's an interesting dude, so we want to talk about him. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, when we say opera after dark, we really mean music, music after, dark. after dark. Music after Classical dark. Classical music after dark. Classical music after dark. Yeah. So he's known for, or one of the pieces you probably know by him is the Gymnopédie cycle. I just played a little melody from it. It was but, beautiful. But there's a whole, I think there's three or four of them. Uh, he became so popular for this that people at one point called them the, the Gymnopédist. Which <laughs> 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 doesn't sound so great, but he wrote a lot of other stuff that's also a lot more like innovative and interesting too than just this Gymnopédie song cycle. Mm -hmm. When did that piano. come, do we have? date for that? The Gymnopédie, I didn't write down the date, but... Um, was that like early in his output? It is kind of early, I think. Okay. So yeah. it's one of his earlier publications, at least. And he also becomes known for writing like really wacky instructions in his scores to mm. the performers. Like what? And so um, I have to find the, the actual text, but, you know, See, he would write you... something along the lines of... In the meantime, rain stick. <laughs> Enough of that, you drunk ass. You, you always get mad at me for asking the tough questions. That wasn't a tough you, question. She brought it up. Mine. This rain stick is dirty. Well, I feel like, so when do we, like in thinking about composers leaving very specific markings, mm -hmm. that was like a romantic era type thing, right? Oh, this is very different. And so... Like, yes, he left a lot of markings, but they were, like, ridiculous instructions. And he once specifically said, um, I forbid anyone to read the text aloud during the musical performance. Ignorance of my instructions will incur my righteous indignation against the presumptuous culprit. No exception will be allowed. Um, <laughs> 
So, Dude, you did. <laughs> he used to you write, burnt. this is not an exact quote, but he would write things like, you know, play this section as if wandering through a field of purple or something like that. What does that even mean? It was totally bonkers for the most part, and it was just things to try and get the performer huh. to play something in the manner that he was thinking of. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of famous for that quirky side of his personality, but really he just has all these weird things about him because he was super eccentric and his friends all knew him as being super eccentric. Did he have an undiagnosed mental illness, do you think? I don't know. Like OCD or... I don't know, but maybe we'll go through some of his eccentricities and you can decide for yourself if there's any kind of condition that arises. qualified to do something like that. Right. So... First strange thing about him, he founded his own religion. Oh my nice. god, that's right! He started yes. a cult. So he... I like how you guys with Hildegard, when she like decided to write her own language, that wasn't weird. <laughs> but that's then not somebody... a cult. She just well... decided to write her own little language for herself. Uh, yeah, but who is she going to commute communicate with in that? Which is a fun mental exercise. This dude As, founded a religion, like yeah. L. Ron Hubbard. Did he, and he had like a bunch of followers? No, he was the sole member of See, his religion. Yeah, that's just, weird. He's, but he's just being creative. He got, no. like he got okay, so he met this guy no. um, by the name of Josephine Paladin. Paladin, I don't know how to pronounce it. But this guy was associated with, um, and Satie became the composer in residence for the mystical order of the rose and the cross of the temple and grail. So mm. this was an occult sect. Nice. And so he became close friends with the founder of this. And then um, he composed several pieces for them. And then he goes on to actually like fo- found his own like wing of this like occult order. And he was the only one that ever registered as being like a member <laughs> <laughs> of this. Just a little bit <laughs> He sad. was a pretty solitary person, right? Toward, like later in his life, yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah, and so that's one quirky thing about him. Uh, he is considered like one of the first people to really explore the idea of minimalism in music, although mm-hmm. he never really gave it that name. So he composed a piece named Vexations. It's a single bass phrase that is accompanied by chords. It's written for a keyboard instrument, uh, but the score doesn't really specify exactly what instrument and. Above the staff of this composition, it reads, quote, In order to play the theme 840 times in succession, it would be advisable to prepare oneself beforehand in the deepest silence through serious immobility. <laughs> you have to play huh. it 840 times. 840 times. Repeat it precisely. Serious immobility. Yes. <laughs> be very still in a very serious way. It's it like should not shock shit. you to know that one of the most popular performances of this was uh, under the direction of John Cage in New uh-huh. York City in 1963. What a shocking surprise. Right? I don't, why are you, what do you have against John Cage? I don't know. Nothing. It was nothing against him, it's just he's like super strongly right. associated with minimalism yeah, and that totally whole like obvious. new wave or avant-garde movement at that time. Mm. I will say that like as far as minimalism in music goes mm-hmm. it's not like my favorite it's not my jam mm-hmm. but at the certain time if you're in a certain mood sometimes it can be kind of interesting mm-hmm. like almost like it it's 
really kind of puts you in a trance sometimes. Not in a super deep way, but mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. there's some merit to it, I feel like. Call me crazy. No, I, I think I, I'm also a big fan of minimalism at, like, listening to minimalist pieces when I'm in a certain mood. Yeah. And it sounds really funny because when you're describing to somebody what's so great about this minimalist piece, you're like, yeah, it's like the same thing for like five minutes and then like one note changes and you're like, yes. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. But, like something that's somebody, like in order to listen to properly, you probably should be doing drugs, but it's still probably enjoyable. Probably make it better. It. <laughs> yeah. But in any, in any case. So sorry. Moving that's the, on. That's the opera after dark take. Right. There Let's you go. talk some more about Sati. Okay, another weird fact. Mm. He only had one romantic relationship that we know of. Okay. 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 So what was this... the duration? I'll get to that. Not so long. <laughs> <laughs> Not so long. Okay. Um, so Satie, to kind of make money, he would play at different like establishments throughout Paris. So people who have been to Paris might have encountered the very famous Le Chat Noir, which was mm. like a music bar club thing that he would play at and is that with that Toulouse painting yeah with uh, the cat yeah so yeah, the cat okay. is very famous right it's a poster for Le Chat Noir okay so Satie was known to play there as kind of like a background music pianist from time to mm. time and around the age of 21 he was doing this like at night to pay the bills and then he got a new neighbor uh Suzanne Valadon moved in next to him they met in 1893 uh, and literally, like, right after meeting her, Satie proposed. Wow. Okay. You mean right after, like, the, cool. the next day? Very soon after meeting her. Cool, 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 cool. So, love at cool. first sight proposal, I'm guessing within the first week of knowing What her. did she say? Well, <laughs> it's unclear if she agreed to marry him, but they became obsessed with each other, and they painted each other. <laughs> several times over the next six months. Like they painted porches or they like physically painted each other's bodies? It is unclear based on <laughs> this Look, as, She was being a little, I'm a guessing, little fuzzy. I'm guessing portraits. If I, I don't know. Guess. I would think bodies. In this great article I read called <laughs> Composer Eric Satie was so much weirder than you realize. Mm. Nice. This is like number three of weird things about him. And it just says for six months they painted each other. Where did and you find these... Articles, Naomi, or is it like, can we the, not? The vast black expanse of the internet. <laughs> I know that, that that's the case, and maybe we don't want to reveal the secret because it's where we source a lot of our material. But it's just so interesting that people are like writing articles mm-hmm. about, like, yeah, Satie's so weird. I mean, we're doing a podcast episode yeah. on him, but it's just cool that that exists. No, right. totally. Okay, so they painted each other for six months, mm. and they were known to sail toy boats together in the Luxembourg Gardens. That's nice. Um, and this whole time that he was with her for this six months, Satie went on this, like, epic exploration of atonality or post-tonality. So he didn't have a word for it at mm-hmm. that time, but he was ex- experimenting with this. Was she, I'm sorry, she, was she a painter or she was just sort of around I have no idea. in the artsy scene? I don't know what she was when she met Satie, but I think she was an acrobat because <gasps> she left him to run away with the circus. What? <laughs> when did that happen? How long were they together? They were only together for six months. I will be as close to the microphone as I want, Kyle. <laughs> That's crazy. Be- very stereotypical excuse to run away. 
Yes, I'm joining the circus. Another article I said, Satine must have not been great at acrobat sex because she ran away to join the circus. And Ew. I was like, That's a leap, but okay. <laughs> Why? Why not? Naomi's like, I'm sure he was just fine at acrobat <laughs> sex, okay? The man was a know. genius. We don't know. We don't she wanna... just wanted to perform with the actual circus, okay? Yeah. Maybe, I don't Coincidentally, know. Coincidentally, around the time that she ran away from the circus was around the time that he started composing Vexations, the thing that you repeat age hundred and forty times. <laughs> oh, so that was probably what it was. She's like, I if I have so. to hear this one more fucking time, I am leaving you and I am joining the circus. And he called her bluff and she was like, fine. <laughs> That is 100% what That happened. sounds like a great story. I'm gone. Could we? It's a great story. That's all this is. Good story. I feel like we have to listen to Vexation. We have to now. listen to it. All right. Do we, is it going to need to be like 10 minutes long before we We don't have to listen to it 840 before times. Before we hear the note change? Maybe just a couple of times. Yeah. Nice. I don't think there is a note change for 840 phrases. That, I it's think. It's just the same phrase 840 times. <laughs> well, well, we'll listen to it a few. A few times right now. started i was like remember what i said about minimalism (laughs) (laughs) just strike that but as it comes on you know it's i I understand the purpose of it i don't particularly feel like listening to it that's Mm -hmm. fair not right now one of those one of these days you're just gonna be like sitting around and you'll be like oh that's a tea piece fixations i think i should use some fixation right now (laughs) and you're I mean, maybe not, but... Probably not. Probably not. Okay, well... Sorry, but maybe... That's the deal. Now we know why his lady ran off to the circus. Probably. Probably because of that piece. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that was the one... How long were they together? Six months. Six months. Oh. About six months. And that was the longest relationship in his life? The only documented relationship we know of. Mm. So... All right. Interesting. Do you think he was, like, maybe asexual... I don't know. Um, I think he was just so eccentric that it was hard for him to meet people, like function in a normal relationship. So yeah, maybe. Interesting. So, and also, it's important to know that Sati was actually very poor through most of his life, and he was super into the avant-garde movement and other people like W.C. and mm-hmm. Ravel and some of the other people at this time were getting a lot more successful than him, and he was constantly trying to like get a strong footing in that world and was never really able to, to the point where his friends nicknamed him Mr. Poor. Which oh. is oh, so awful. Oh, that's terrible. And <laughs> do you know who was asexual? Ravel. 
Oh, really? Yes. Really? How do we know that? Like, How did do we he write know about anything, it? Naomi? I guess so. <laughs> Mr. Poor. Mr. Poor. Right. That's, did he at least, like, embrace it? Bless his hey, heart. Hey, everybody, it's oh, Mr. Mr. Poor. Poor. <laughs> well, I'm buying everybody around. Just kidding. I'm Mr. Poor. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh. T, a.k.a. Mr. Poor, moved to a very... Bless his heart. <laughs> Mr. Poor himself, where did he move? To the slums? Essentially. Is that where he moved? Of Paris? Are we in Paris? Yes. Okay. He moved to like an impoverished suburb of Paris. Right. And he was so terrified that he carried a hammer around with him everywhere he went. Yeah, a hammer. He needs like a blade. A hammer, I guess, was his weapon of choice of self-defense. Fair. Fair. Okay. He carried it with him everywhere for his own protection and for the rest of his life, even when he was not, you know, even when he was in better situations and was no longer in this suburb, it just became a habit. So. Oh, he just always he had always the hammer. Did it. Always had the was hammer. he buried with it? I don't know about that. It's Let's ter- say yes. But It's terrible that we're, like, making light of the fact that he was poor. Like, that was probably, like, really... <laughs> horrible for him. Yeah, yeah I, I'm... Him. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. It's just... It's just funny and sad that his friends who are like much more well it's funny that his friends that seem to believe in his musical talent were like much better off than him Mm. but it was almost like there was nothing that they they could do to kind of support him financially i don't know maybe he was like i don't want to this is he strikes me as a difficult personality he might have been a horrible person to be around maybe maybe they respected him enough and like his gifts enough that it kind of enabled them to make fun of him being poor like if he was just like poor and destitute they probably wouldn't make fun of him because that's messed up but right it's mm-hmm. like uh you're poor now but you'll probably figure it out because mm-hmm. you're talented he didn't stay poor his entire life but he okay like he went through this phase where the, everyone else was getting much more famous than him and he was having a hard time and that's when he got this nickname and started carrying the hammer and then even when things got better, he just kept carrying the hammer. Maybe he just got tired of people calling him Mr. Poor. Uh, probably. And then he beat the shit out. Okay, oh, so Lord. not only did he carry a hammer with him everywhere, he also had this bizarre obsession with umbrellas. Okay? Nice. <laughs> he, like, collected umbrellas compulsively, but he would carry them with him inside his coat to protect them from the rain. What? Yes. Cool. So. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Strange dude. Yeah, he was. Okay, he also had a really hard time finishing school, so he like enrolled in the Paris Conservatoire, but he was still a student or didn't actually graduate until over the age of 40 because he was just the laziest student mm. and wouldn't complete anything. And he tried to and he kept trying to like build his technical skills, but he was actually known to be a pretty bad pianist, even though that's how he like made his living in the oh, early wow. years and composed things for piano, but he himself was not a great pianist, so he had a hard time well, finishing hard his to, studies. It's hard to play the piano when you've got a hammer and an umbrella, an umbrella in your yeah. jacket. Yeah. You know? Fair. Yeah. How are you going to yeah. reach your... Fair. Like, did he create like a little holster for the hammer? Well, for the hammer, I think he carried it in, his, in a pocket. Mm. Like, he wasn't wielding a hammer around the, the streets, ha- but... His, the Sachi hammer pocket. Yeah. I am Thor. <laughs> what about the umbrella? That was the just... umbrella he carried in his coat. So he would, like... I, I'm guessing he would, like, open his coat, put it in there, and, like, hold it in with his arm. 
Man. Yeah. Super strange. Oh. Okay. Move on. So, Get to the really weird thing that we were talking about earlier. I'm, oh, I'm getting there. There's a couple, there's a couple more things. So. Gotta build, Elspeth. I have a great quote about the weird thing, but okay. one yeah. more thing. So he, before we get to super weird stuff, mm. another work he's really well known for is Parade. It premiered in 1917. It's a ballet that uh, basically brings together live music, dance, poetry, visual arts, set design, and fashion. So it's like pseudo-operatic, but not nice. an opera. Mm-hmm. Um, people considered it, now if we look back and we say it's like the first performance piece in the avant-garde tradition. And it was known for like breaking a lot of Wagnerian stereotypes of the time. Um, He worked with a lot of really amazing people on it. The poet artist Jean Cocteau Mm. also, uh, so Cocteau wrote the libretto. Pablo Picasso designed the sets. Oh, cool. uh, But it was so strange and like, I guess avant-garde for the public that there was a riot outside and Sati ended up getting thrown in jail for eight days oh, as a that's result. Great. For what was he charged with? Cultural anarchy. Yes. <laughs> you think that's still a thing? I don't know. Oh, that's amazing. Can we listen I to a little that. bit of some cultural Definitely. anarchy? This yeah. Cultural anarchy. This is a little bit of parade, which is actually amazing. Cool. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. <laughs> I think it's so funny that, one, that this was a time when you have different artistic works that come out and people are so offended that they right. riot. You <laughs> right. know, like you know, the Rite of Spring, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I wish people were that passionate about classical music now. All right. Mm-hmm. Although we listen, now we listen to these works looking back, and that sounds beautiful and totally normal. Right. Same mm-hmm. with, I mean, Rite of Spring like a little bit out there, but not... No, not at all. Very yeah. much. So it's just interesting how tastes change and perceptions change. But now I feel like people would listen to something, and maybe you don't like it, but you wouldn't riot mm-hmm. about it. Right. Like you wouldn't start breaking things in the street. Right. That's true. Because of a bad musical performance or a musical or a piece performance. that you found offensive. Yeah. But I do think, if you think about like professional sports teams, there are like 
riots that happen in the wake of sporting events that go awry. And I feel like that's like the equivalent frenzy Mm -hmm. with classical music of this time. The weird thing about that, though, is that a lot of the sports riots happen when like a team wins. Right. They win and they lose their minds and Mm -hmm. break things. And in this one, people are just like so outraged. Yeah. I mean, neither one really makes sense, but it's, yeah, you're right. It's interesting on both sides. Okay. Okay, you ready for this super weird? Yay! Yeah. Some of my favorite weird. ones. Super mm-hmm. weird. Okay, so Satie's diet. <gasps> oh gosh. <laughs> no, you're not gonna get weirded out. Consisted of eating things. He only ate things that were the color white. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you me, surprised? You did not guess. expect that. No, I, no, no. I, ha- I have. I have a quote from him himself. He wrote in his memoirs. Um, actually, in Memoirs of, of an Amnesiac, which were like his own memoirs that he mm-hmm. wrote, uh, he described his diet as thus. My only nourishment consists of food that is white. <laughs> Eggs, sugar, shredded bones, the fat of dead animals, veal, salt, coconuts, cooked chicken in white water, moldy fruit, rice, turnips, sausages, and camphor, pastry, cheese of white varieties, cotton salad, and certain kinds of fish without their skin. I boil my wine and drink it cold mixed with juice of the fuchsia. I have a good appetite, but never talk when eating for fear of strangling myself. Two questions. <laughs> what is white water and what is cotton salad? <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining a bowl full of cotton balls, but I don't really think that's what he ate. I'm looking it up right now. And moldy fruit? I guess because the mold creates a white... God. Yeah. Hey, penicillin, maybe? <laughs> Jeez, that's just crazy. But, ugh. That's really nuts. I thought you were going to say, like, when you first mentioned his diet, I thought you were going to say, like, he ate only pickles and cheese. (laughs) No, the blood of virgins. Yeah, oh, God. No, it's only food that was white. That's strange. What was his justification? He didn't justify why. He just said that this is what he's decided, only white food. Um, but he said that he doesn't talk when eating because he has a fear of strangling himself. Wow. Hmm. I mean, that's just polite. Yeah. But I suppose so. Yeah, that's really strange. And now, it's funny because now we think of, well, and I'm sure at the time people thought of, you know, the more colors on your plate, generally the healthier it is. <laughs> right. And he was going in the opposite direction. So did he only do the egg whites? He must have. He must have. He must have taken the yolk out. Jeez. So. Satie, what are you doing, man? I bet you I know what his favorite pizza was. (laughs) White pizza. Hey. (laughs) I wonder how that became like his thing. I don't know. Like when he was a kid or as a young adult. I've actually heard of other people that have had this white diet thing. So I wonder if it's like actually a diagnosed phobia of other foods that are not white or some kind of disorder now. Maybe. When you mentioned so. it, I thought I had heard of it, but yeah. I'm sure it wasn't in connection with him. Right. Maybe yeah. something similar, like there are people that don't like their foods to touch right. on the plate kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting to how that starts, though, because what do you, like, yeah, maybe I don't know. one day he had a couple of foods yeah. that were just white, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Maybe he, like, found it, he finds it soothing to look at a plate and it's nothing but white. Which is interesting because if you and I looked at that, we would be weirded out. Absolutely. But, I mean, it's a cultural thing. 
generational thing. Mm. Well, he I don't lived, know. Like, it in Paris, like he, had he had like all this wonderful food yes. at his disposal, right? Did and he? Li- well, I'm presumably he ate some really good cheese. <laughs> yeah, I uh, hope only the, of the, the white, white variety. cheese yeah. was yeah. excellent. Really good rotten fruit. I'm sure he was a fan of brie. I feel yeah. like you could get really Camembert. great food if you <sighs> only ate like yellow food. So that's like most cheese. A lot of corn. Butter. Corn. <laughs> corn. Wow. Did he live to an old age? He, well, yeah. I mean, he, 1866 to 1925. That's super oh. old. That's so, not super old, 69? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's old For that time, it's like that I mean, old-ish considering you ate yeah. cotton. Yeah. <laughs> Considering I, I just looked it up, and there is food. no, I can't find anything in regards to cotton salad. It just comes up as cotton candy salad, which, by the way, looks disgusting. Do not <laughs> eat it. <laughs> Sorry if I just spat on you. That's okay. that was like it's like pink and weird. And cotton candy salad. I just picture like cotton candy with jelly beans and gummy bears. Pretty much, basically cotton candy, but on a stick. You love marshmallows, because marshmallows are white. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sati, we got your back. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite dessert. All right. So just to add to the weirdness, okay. I'm going to just, these are some excerpts from his memoirs of Amnesiac mm-hmm. that are him describing his day. Okay. All the, all the weirdest people write memoirs. If you're yeah. writing memoirs Everyone right now. Everyone writes a memoir. If you're writing memoirs right now, you just need to take a look at yourself and really think, am I? Look at your life, look at your am choices. Am I super weird? Because <laughs> the chances are you probably are. Yeah. But I'm sorry to interrupt, Nam. Let's, let's hear from Go on. the memoirs. So memoirs. I rise at 7.18. I am inspired from about 10.23 to 11.47. <sighs> I lunch at 12.11 and leave the table at 12.14. Mm. I healthily ride on horseback around my domains following, or th- that happens from 1.19 p.m. to 2.53 p.m. he's lunch for three minutes? <laughs> Apparently. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't mind fixating on that. Another bout of inspiration from 3.12 to 4.07 p.m. From 4.27 to 6.47 p.m., various occupations such as fencing, reflection, immobility, visits, contemplation, dexterity, natation, etc. occupy him. Jeez. Okay. Dinner is served at 7.16 and finished at 7.20. He <laughs> so eats in four, four minutes, minutes for yeah. dinner. That makes sense. From 18.09 to 9.59 p.m., symphonic reading out loud. I go to bed regularly at 10.37 p.m. Once a week, I wake up with a start at 3.19 every Tuesday, to be precise. I breathe with care, a little mm-hmm. at a time. I very rarely dance. When walking, I clasp my sides and look steadily behind me. My expression is very serious. When I laugh, it is unintentional, and I always apologize most affably. I sleep with only one eye closed, very profoundly. My bed is round with a hole to put my head through. <laughs> Once every okay. hour, a servant takes my temperature and gives me another. I have subscribed for some time to a fashion magazine. I wear a white cap, white stockings, and a white waistcoat. So he just wore all white too, right? No, just his stockings, his cap, and his waistcoat. The only things that he specifically says are white. All right. My doctor has always told me to smoke. Part of his advice runs, smoke away, dear chap. If you don't, someone else will. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great doctor. It's my philosophy on booze. Right. That's fair. But please good for your heart. It's red wine. Yep. So, when Satie died, 
before he died, he basically moved out into the country into like a house where he refused to let anybody visit him for like two decades. And so why? I think he just eccentric and became recluse. Had he made so he had made some money by then, so he could yeah, so he could live. To, and hmm. I'm assuming, but when he died, his friends entered his house and they found over 100 umbrellas in his house. He's a hoarder. And they also found like six or seven of the exact same suit mm-hmm. made in this like corduroy material. And so the story goes is that in his adult life, like people only ever saw Satie wearing a one single outfit. And it was the same suit that he wore all the time with apparently white stockings and a white waistcoat and Hey, things. if you got something that looks good on you. Yeah. But he had you get like multiples. seven or eight identical ones. And when they went into his house after he died, they found like six of them completely brand new, unused. Oh, weird. Bless. So he only wore like one suit his entire life or his God. entire adult life. Well, that might have something also to do with the fact that he had one romantic relationship. Yeah. Well, before you said that it was the same suit on repeat, I was going to say Steve Jobs did the same thing. <laughs> but it is All about that literally uniform. the same suit. We think it was the yeah. same one for his entire life. All right. I so. think, I mean, none of us are professionals or anything like that in, in this regard, but I think it's safe to say that there was some sort of mental um, uh, illness or... Well, he did drink a lot, and he was known to consume a lot of absinthe. (laughs) That stuff will kill your brain. Party. And his liver, because he died of psoriasis of the liver. Yep, well, Uh, there you go. Which we're probably all going to (laughs) I know. (laughs) After tonight. He also actually kept two grand pianos in his apartment, like one that he actually played, and the other one was like the body of a grand piano sitting on top of the one he played, and he would just like store stuff in the What? Shop. <laughs> That's kind of cool. <laughs> so, I like that. And they also discovered like a ton of compositions that he never published or never publicized mm-hmm. that were just like in his apartment mm. when he died. So there's a bunch of stuff that was published after his death. Um, and... Yeah, he was, but he now we look back, like he was super eccentric and obviously very strange, but we look back and we consider him a huge cornerstone of like the avant-garde movement in mm-hmm. Paris at this time, yeah. and he influenced a bunch of people and was friends with a bunch of really important avant-garde composers, so Also, I, I mean, when you think about it, it's like to each their own. Yeah. Sure, he was, like he did some very strange things, but it's what he wanted to do. And he wasn't bothering anybody. That's true. He lived his life by doing it. Like, in everything I read about him, he didn't really seem to be, like, a violent or aggressive person. He didn't take kindly to critics, like, saying nasty things about his work. But other than that, he wasn't, like, a horrible guy. Mm -hmm. So I think he was just eccentric. So Interesting. Well, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Sometimes madness is just right next to genius yeah i guess (laughs) do we want to maybe play out with some of sati's vocal music yeah yeah do you know any either of you know offhand like what his famous vocal stuff is 
Nope. I have, I, there was a song I actually sang by him when I was an <gasps> undergrad. You did? So, yeah. Let's listen to that. I wish we had a recording of you singing it. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Does one exist somewhere? No. Aww. Not, this, this song, <laughs> though, it sounds. If it does, we'll find we'll it. Find it. <laughs> the internet. Um, this song, even though it sounds pretty simple, it's actually, it didn't sit well in my voice, so it never really sounded um. great. But this recording features... Uh, the wonderful diva Angela Piogu. Oh. So we can, we can play out with uh, Je Te Veux by Satie. I feel like maybe I've heard of that. You'll probably recognize it. It sounds kind of fam- like Frenchy familiar when you yeah. <laughs> when you listen. All but right. before we do that, yeah, thank you for listening to yes. Opera After Dark. We this is a lot of fun for us, and yeah. I'm glad that <laughs> hopefully it's fun for for any of you all listening. I hope so. I think so. And the wacky, it, weird, and wonderful world yeah. of Sati. Of Sati. If it's fun, please leave us a review in iTunes or wherever else you're listening. Uh, also find us at operaafterdark.com, uh, as well as on Facebook and Twitter. That's right. And thanks again. We'll we'll be with you next week with another episode of a thrilling episode. Opera mm-hmm. After Dark. Mm-hmm. So tr- so drunk. <laughs> Good thing I paced myself so I can get through this. I know. Good thing you paced yourself so Good you can get one sober person. After like the fourth time of this, I would be like, I'm out. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> History will recognize you as a genius, but I can't do this right now.
Yes. Hey, <laughs> 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 <laughs>